I'm going to take a moment and share a word with you about the veil and the significance of the torn veil. At the end of that, we will sing a song. Jesus paid it all. Then we will extinguish the final candle and the last set of lights, except for the spotlight on the cross, will be extinguished. And then you're welcome to stay and just to pray. But as you go, we invite you to be dismissed in silence. After the sanctuary is empty, we'll come back in and set it up, but we want folks to take their time. You know, it's amazing that when God... The, the Passover meal was a remember, reminder of the final miracle in the land of Egypt that God did that broke the will of Pharaoh so, he could let, so that he would let the people of God go, that they might undertake the exodus out of Egypt and then go out and enter into covenant with God at Mount Sinai. It was God's desire as he met with the people on Mount Sinai, to enter into a relationship with them, to establish a covenant, a bond. And in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, God instructed Moses to make a sanctuary so I may dwell in your midst. And they constructed something that we know as the tabernacle. It was quite a facility, a portable church, if you will, but a place where they could connect with God. I, I love the description that I found in William Barclay's commentary in the book of Hebrews as he spoke about what the tabernacle was like. And he's compiled much of the description from Exodus 25 through 31 and 35 through 40. Just listen to what this tabernacle was like. It says the core of the tabernacle was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. It was surrounded by a curtain-like fence of fine twined linen, seven and a half feet high. The white linen stood for the wall of holiness that surrounds the presence of God. The curtain was supported by 20 pillars on the north and on the south sides, and by 10 on the east and the west sides. And the pillars were set in sockets of brass and had tops of silver. There was only one gate. It was on the east side, and it was 30 feet wide and 7.5 feet high. It was made of fine twined linen wrought with blue and purple and scarlet. In the court there were two things. There was the brazen altar... Seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high and made of a kaya wood that was totally sheathed in brass. Its top was a brazen grating on which the sacrifice was laid. And it had four horns to which the offering was bound. Then there was the laver. The laver was made from the brass mirrors of the women. Glass mirrors did not really exist at that time, but its dimensions are not given to us. And the priests bathed themselves in the water that was in it before they carried out their sacred duties each and every day. The tabernacle proper was constructed of 48 Achaia beams, 15 feet high and 2 and 3 inches wide. They were overlaid with pure gold and rested in sockets of silver. They were bound together by outside connecting rods and by a wooden tie beam which ran through their center. The tabernacle was divided into two parts. The first, two-thirds of the whole, was the holy place. The inner part, one-third of the whole, a cube 15 feet on each side was called the Holy of Holies. The curtain which hung in front of the holy place was supported on five brass pillars and made of fine linen wrought in blue, purple, and scarlet. The holy place contained three things. There was the golden lampstand. It stood on the south side. It was beaten out of, of a talent of solid gold. The lamps were fed with pure olive oil and were always lit. On the north side stood the table of the showbread. It was made of acacia wood covered with gold. It was three feet long, one and a half feet wide, and two and three inches high. And on it 
there were laid every Sabbath twelve loaves made of the finest flour in two rows of six. And only the priests could eat these loaves when they were removed. They were changed every Sabbath. There was also the altar of incense. It was of acacia wood, seethed in gold. It was one and a half feet square and three feet high. And on it, incense, symbolizing the prayers of the people rising to God, was burned every morning and every evening. In front of the Holy of Holies, there was the veil, which was made of fine twined linen embroidered in scarlet and purple and blue, and with a cherubim upon it. Into the Holy of Holies, no one but the high priest might enter, and he only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only after the most elaborate preparations. Within the Holy of Holies stood the Ark of the Covenant, and it contained three things, the golden pot of the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tables of the law. It was made of acacia wood, sheathed outside and inside with gold. It was three feet, nine inches long, two and a half, two feet, three inches wide, and two and three inches high. Two feet, three inches high. Its lid was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, there were two cherubim of solid gold with overarching wings. It was there that the very presence of God rested. For he had said, there I will meet you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are upon the ark of the testimony. It was all of this beauty that the writer to the Hebrews was thinking. And yet it was only a shadow of reality. Isn't it interesting that as God brought the people of Israel out of, out of, out of Egypt and brought them into a relationship with himself. And he instructed the people to build this incredible facility so that he could dwell amongst them. That he gave them instructions to put up a veil that separated his presence from them. Don't you find that odd? Here he was building a tabernacle so that he could be with the people. But he built a veil. He put up a veil to separate the Holy of Holies from all the rest of the tabernacle. And only on one day was one person allowed to go in. And the and the the rituals they went through to be ready to go in and the blood that they, they uh, sprinkled on the mercy seat. Why was the veil there? Perhaps Isaiah makes it most succinct to us when he says, but your iniquities have built, have built barriers between you and your God and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. The reason the veil was over the Holy of Holies was because the people of God weren't fit to be in the presence of God. And so he put up this veil. And this veil over time, as the temple was built by Solomon, became an incredible thing. They, they say, as we saw in the video earlier, it was 60 feet high. And it was three inches thick. And not, not, not even the strongest team of horses hooked to different sides of it could rip it apart. It was, in every way, shape, or form, totally indestructible at the hands of man. Symbolic of the fact that there was nothing that men could do to remove the veil from between themselves. In God, that barrier that separated his presence from us. But we know that on Good Friday, or perhaps we should call it Black Friday, we know from Matthew's gospel and also from others' gospels in the New Testament that when Jesus died on the cross, at the moment that he breathed his last bread, as, he, as, as the blood was seeping into his lungs and making it impossible for him to breathe, he, he cried, he sucked in his last breath and he cried out, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and he died. And it's at that moment that the earth shook, the rocks were split open. And that veil that hung between the presence of God and all the presence of men was ripped from top to bottom, opening up a new way for men to live in the presence of God. That's a tremendous picture about what the cross is all about. It breaks down the barrier between sinful men 
in a holy God. And it unleashes the holy of holies to be within us. The author of the book of Hebrews spends a great deal of time talking about how it is that the the death of Christ, the sacrificial lamb, if you will, that was offered up on the cross, was so different and unique from the other offerings that had been made over the years on each day on the Day of Atonement, that with that, Jesus just it, it, it transformed the whole experience. Instead of there being the Day of Atonement, was there was the Day of Atonement, a day that would never be repeated. Let me just read a few verses from you from Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verses 7 through 14. But the high priest alone enters the second room. He's referring to the Holy of Holies. And he does it only once a year, never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not been yet disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the restoration. But now the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with man hands, that is, not of this creation. His, his whole point is that as incredible as a tabernacle was, as incredible as Solomon's temple was, it's nothing compared to the heavenly temple. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling of a, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanct, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Just a few points about how this offering of Christ on Good Friday was different from all the other sacrifices that had ever been made in the Day of Atonement. First of all, the Day of Atonement really only dealt with ceremonial uncleanness. It only dealt with external uncleanness. If you read through all of the, the things in the Scriptures, they were spreading blood over the altars and over the, the tops of the mercy seat, and etc., because those very things had been contaminated because of their contact, content with, contact with sinful men. So they were only taking care of ceremonial uncleanness. But you notice, as the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to us, he says that the sacrifice of Christ, it just doesn't deal with ceremonial uncleanness. It doesn't deal with just external uncleanness. It deals with the internal. It deals with our conscience. It deals with our rightness before God. It can bring real internal cleansing and real transformation. It's a unique offering and one that will never be made again. In, chapter, in verse 22 of the same chapter, he's going to say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Up to this point in time, there was an elaborate experience that went on the Day of Atonement where they offered up the blood of young bulls and of goats, and they would place their hands on a The high priest would place his hands on a scapegoat that would go out, and they would spread the blood from these animals seven times on, on the altars. And, and these things could only secure temporary forgiveness because they had to come back next year and do the same thing. And each and every day they had to stand in the temple and offer up offerings in the holy place. But the blood of the Messiah, it's offered once for all, provides permanent, total cleansing. That's why the veil can be torn. The blood of these calves and of these goats, it was offered up involuntary. None of them made a choice. 
to offer it. But the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 that Jesus made the choice to give his own blood for us. It was a voluntary sacrifice. It was a willing sacrifice. And therefore, it was unique. These calves and these goats, they had to be unblemished. That means they had to be, they they couldn't be handicapped or have anything wrong with them. But Jesus' blood wasn't unblemished. It was holy. It was holy. And because of that, he's able to penetrate the Holy of Holies and open it up to us. And in chapter 10, we have a wonderful statement of the impact of the death of Christ. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has inaugurated for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. It's interesting that the author of Hebrews transforms the role of the curtain. Up until the death of Jesus, the curtain had been there to separate men from God. Now Jesus' body is the curtain that's been torn. But this curtain is now the entranceway. It is the means by which we come into the presence of God. He's totally transformed the significance of the curtain. I think it was the difference between like a locked door, which was the old curtain. You know those hippie-style beads they used to have over the doors that didn't stop anything? You kind of go right through. That's what the flesh of Christ is like. It invites us into the presence of God. It's a transformation that takes place. On Good Friday, God tore the veil from top to bottom so that you and I, through this incredible blood of Christ, which was offered up freely, totally holy, that can create permanent cleansing in us, that this gift of His life can transform our relationship with Him and we can enter into covenant with Him as a symbol to us of that transformation. I'm going to try to my best with some form of dignity to tear the veil that is hanging from this thing behind, from this rod behind us. We've cheated a little bit and made just a little cut. And I'm going to stand in the back, hopefully to provide the imagery that it is God that is entering a way for us to enter into His presence. It is the Son of God who gave Himself on the cross who invites us and is our means to live in the presence of God, enter into the presence of God through the torn veil of the flesh of Christ and be the child of God. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. God, we celebrate who you are. We celebrate your plan and your faithfulness in keeping all your promises. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all the wonderful symbols that you give us around that final moments of the life of Christ. The torn veil, the empty tomb, the stone that was moved. God, you want us to be convinced that we can and we should live in your presence. We come to you tonight through the blood of Christ and we enter into you through his body. Amen.